Hello and welcome to Middle East Matters. I'm Delana D'Souza. Coming up on the show this week, Benjamin Netanyahu pushes ahead with plans to reform Israel's judicial system despite widespread opposition from the street. The head of Iran's football federation announces that women can attend upcoming matches for the country's top league. And tourism numbers continue to inch up for Dubai, the city a big draw for travellers from Russia. Protesters in Israel continue to take to the streets. The renewed demonstrations come after the Knesset adopted a key clause to the country's judicial reform package. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is pressing ahead with a controversial bill that seeks to curb the power of Israel's Supreme Court despite widespread opposition. Israel woke up to more nationwide demonstrations on Tuesday morning as protesters kicked off their day of disruption and resistance. Major roads across the country have been blocked, like this one leading to Jerusalem or like here outside Tel Aviv. I came here because the, this government is demolishing totally democracy in Israel. In, this, in, in democracy you have three institutions government, parliament and judiciary. In Israel, there is only two because the government and the parliament is the same. Demonstrators have also gathered at other key locations, including in front of the Supreme Court. Police have desperately been trying to quell the demonstrations by using water cannons to disperse protesters and by dragging others away by force. The unrest comes the morning after Parliament gave its approval to the first of three readings of a highly contested judicial reform bill, one which seeks to curb the Supreme Court's power. Netanyahu has said it will make governance more effective by restraining court intervention. But many remain unconvinced, saying it threatens democracy. Since the start of the year, tens of thousands have flocked to the streets every Saturday in protest. Turkey has agreed to support Sweden's bid to join NATO. Stockholm had seen its membership to the military alliance blocked over objections from Ankara. Turkey's president changing his tune over hopes of jump-starting accession talks with the European Union. Emerald Maxwell reports. The issue had been hanging over NATO for months. But an 11th hour U-turn from the Turkish president delivered the news that Sweden and its partners had been waiting for. I am very happy. I must say that the three of us have shaken hands, the president of Turkey, the secretary general of NATO and myself, on this joint statement, and that we are thus taking a very big step towards the official ratification of Sweden's membership in NATO. Completing Sweden's accession to NATO is an historic step that benefits the security of all NATO allies at this critical time. The Turkish president had been holding up Sweden's NATO bid since it submitted it in May last year, accusing Stockholm of harboring Kurdish terrorists. Then, early on Monday, Erdogan seemed to make his agreement on Sweden, conditional on Turkey's accession to the European Union. Ankara submitted its official EU application in 1987, but it's been dead in the water for years. When you pave the way for Turkey, we'll pave the way for Sweden. But after three-way talks on Monday, Erdogan softened his demand, agreeing to lift his veto in return for support from Sweden to revive Turkey's EU bid. 
We continue to support closer cooperation between the EU and Turkey, which has been a long-standing strong tradition for Sweden. In a statement, Turkey and Sweden also agreed to work closely in counter-terrorism coordination and boost bilateral trade ties. The Turkish parliament still needs to ratify Sweden's bid, but Erdogan has agreed to push for it. Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban has also signalled he will follow Erdogan's lead in lifting his veto, removing the last barrier to Sweden becoming the military alliance's 32nd member. Now for decades, Iran has banned women from football and other stadiums except for rare occasions. But that could soon be changing. The head of Iran's football federation has announced that stadiums in three cities would host women fans for the upcoming season of the country's top league. We can now bring in France 24's Monty Francis for more. Monty, great to see you. Talk us through what's behind this decision. Well, Delano, there's been growing pressure both internationally and also within with inside of Iran to end this ban for decades. But let's just start off with the reality here. Imagine you're a diehard fan at your favorite local football team. You've never been able your entire life to go and see them compete live and in person. Well, that is the reality for millions of women across Iran. So this past Sunday, the, the head of Iran's football federation said something that really raised a lot of eyebrows and gave women some hope. Let's take a look at what he said. Uh, the presence of women is no longer up for debate. Women will be present in stadiums such as Golgahar, Sepahan, Zobahan, and Gadir Avaz, which are deemed suitable. Azadi Stadium should also make preparations. Now, he's referring there to stadiums in the cities of Isfahan, Kerman, and Avaz, saying they were ready to host women fans for the upcoming season, which begins next month. He mentioned there at the end the Azadi Stadium, which uh, is an 80,000-seat stadium in Tehran. There are no plans at this point to allow women there. Now, all of this dates back to 1979 the Islamic Revolution in Iran, a ban on women in sports stadiums. It's not written into law, but it's just been enforced uh, just the same. That's because clerics have a big role in decision-making in Iran, and they've argued that women must be shielded from the masculine atmosphere in sight of semi-clad um, you know, athletes in, that you see in the stadiums. Right, sure. And human rights groups have been you know, campaigning to change this uh, for years. And have exceptions been made in the past? There have been some exceptions, but not too many. Now, leading up to last year's World Cup, FIFA, which is soccer's governing body, put a lot of pressure on Iran to allow women to attend World Cup qualifiers and even threaten sanctions over the issue. So in October of 2019, women were allowed into the Azadi Stadium, the stadium I mentioned there in Tehran, to watch Iran play Cambodia. About 4,000 women were allowed into the stadium. They faced a number of measures, though. They had to come in through a separate gate. Uh, female chaperones were there to remind them to wear headscarves. A set, they were uh, in a section where they had to sit separately from men. Uh, despite all of that, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, let's take a listen to what some of them had to say at the time. Uh, 
And so all of this seemed like progress, Delano. But then last year, about 2,000 women, they bought tickets for Iran's World Cup qualifier against Lebanon. They were denied entry into the stadium. Some were even kept out uh, by security forces who used pepper spray. So that really seemed like a step backwards. And, Monty, what's happened to women who flouted the rules in the past? Well, some women have even dressed up like men to sneak into the stadium. They've posted photos on social media of them doing that. But the penalties are pretty, pretty large. Uh, human rights groups have documented arrests, beatings, and other abuses of women who've tried attending these sporting events. Now, one case has really galvanized a movement, a woman by the name of Sahar Kodeari. Uh, she became known as Blue Girl because that was the color of her favorite team. Well, in March of 2019, she dressed as a man. She snuck into the, the stadium there in Toronto to watch her team play. She was arrested. She later had to show up for court, and the court told her she faced six months in prison. So when she was leaving court, she set herself on fire. She later died in the hospital, and her death really has uh, brought this issue into the international spotlight. So women in Iran have been promised access to these three stadiums. That's the bottom line. Starting next month, everyone's going to be watching to see if the Football Federation and, and the Iranian government, if they keep their promise. Keep their word. Thank you very much for that, Monty. Monty Francis there. Now, Dubai's tourism sector has come back strong since the COVID-19 pandemic. In the first quarter of 2023, the city welcomed over 4.6 million tourists. That's a 17% increase from the same period last year. The boom can partly be explained by the influx of Russian tourists. Here's a report from a correspondent on the ground. With its sprawling skyline, the desert metropolis of Dubai is drawing Russian tourists by the thousands. A recent phenomenon, the owner of this small marina has had to adapt his business to accommodate Russian clientele. Before, Russians weren't really our target customers because jet skis and nautical activities weren't really their thing. But we've seen the clientele change, and we're indeed looking for Russian-speaking staff. But it's difficult to find Russian-speaking workers because there's a high demand in this market. During the first quarter of 2023, almost half a million tourists from Russia traveled to Dubai. That's more than double the number of Russian visitors compared to the same period last year. Elena Titkova is a Russian entrepreneur from a small village near Volograd. She and her partner decided to relocate to Dubai, and last year they opened two restaurants. Dubai is very friendly now, and it's a very good idea to come to vacation uh, to Dubai because it's really nice atmosphere here and the open mind in Dubai. Uh, of course, uh, it's a directly fly from Russia to Dubai. It's very easy because uh, another world uh, too close now for us, and it's too difficult to come to another country. Since the beginning of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the United Arab Emirates has taken a neutral stance with regard to Moscow. The tallest building in the world, Dubai's Burj Khalifa, even displayed the colors of the Russian flag back on June 12th. It's done the same with the Ukrainian flag, a diplomatic position motivated, say experts, by economic interests. In anticipation of the end of the oil era, Dubai and the federal government in Abu Dhabi and other countries like Qatar adopted this position to be able to attract foreign tourists, but also foreign capital which allows them to survive, to bring in revenue and to develop in other areas. 
As with much in Dubai, when it comes to tourism, the UAE is thinking big. By the end of the year, it hopes to break the record for the number of international visitors reached in 2019. That's it for this edition. From all of us on the team, thank you very much for watching. A country with the most productive cobalt mines in the world. An ore essential for electric car batteries. A global market fighting over every gram. As history repeats itself, the reality is bleak. L'activité minière est en train plutôt d'appauvrir la population plutôt que d'améliorer les conditions de vie des populations. With artisanal mining, child exploitation, gigafactories, corruption, pollution. Tämän tota ongelma jätteen niin kuin sitten sitten takapihalleen sen auton kanssa. The Battle for Cobalt in Reporters Plus on France 24 and France24.com.